Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We are really very, very happy to have Brent and Eliana Kaiser with us tonight. They have been serving uh, with Chi Alpha Ministry on the campus of CSU in Fort Collins for a number of years now. I always like to say this, Brent, I don't think minds, but we knew Brent when he just was a little guy <laughs> running around in Maryland's children's ministry years ago. And now look at him. They've been serving, as I said, on the campus of CSU and are preparing to go to Russia. So grateful to be with you all tonight, this evening. Uh, it's always good to be with our Wellspring family. And yeah, you've seen us coming and going over the years. Uh, those of you that uh, you know have been part of Wellspring and this church for a while, you, you've seen us uh, regularly and, and we've been at CSU, as Dave mentioned, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, doing Chi Alpha work. Um, I did for eight years. Um, both my wife and I have been in Chi Alpha for eight years full time. And now we are getting ready to go to Russia. And we're going to do the same work as we've been doing at CSU. It's just going to be in Russia. It's going to be at a Russian university. But the goal and Everything we're going to be about is the same. It's all about discipleship of university students on a secular campus. And it's uh, something that we believe in because we've seen the power of it at CSU. We've been at Fort Collins long enough to see multiple generations of students raised up. And what happens and what's so cool about student ministry is students graduate and then are sent. And we believe that every single student has a calling, whether that is into missions overseas, or the marketplace here in the U.S., or church planning, or Chi Alpha. And so there's really four routes that we believe everyone can go into, but everyone's called into something for the body of Christ. You each are not just at your work or your job by happenstance, uh, but we believe that there you can be a missionary just as much as Ileana and I are going to be overseas, because we as a body are called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to uh, influence our surrounding areas, our neighbors, our coworkers, our families with the light of the gospel. And so, yeah, see yourself as a missionary and don't see us as the only missionaries. <laughs> we are a little bit about this last year. So, of course, um, 2020, 2021 was quite an interesting school year for us. Um, I think we have, if you can go to the next slide, there's a group of students uh, should be that we hiked with, yep. So that was Labor Day this past uh, September. And we took a group of students, this is the top of a 14er uh, called Mount Democrat. And we still went out on campus, met students. Uh, it was a little tricky to navigate because uh, a lot of the students had their classes virtual and online. So CSU really wasn't doing much in person. However, there were still students living on campus. So we went and we found them and they were starving for something to do. So it was actually really easy to round this group up to go on an adventure and hike this 14,000 plus foot mountain. Um, and everyone made it that day, which is 
something pretty interesting and amazing, you know, for a 14er. Um, it's not an easy hike if you've ever done one like that before. You know, it's very difficult. Um, but we had an awesome community this last year that really stuck stu stuck with us through the entire year, and that's unusual. Normally, what happens in campus ministries, you get people who come check you out. At, in the fall early on, and then they go and they get involved in 10 other different things. But last year, there was nothing else to get involved in. So <laughs> students stayed with us through the entire year. And it was amazing to see the growth that happens when you are committed. When you are faithfully invested in one community, that's where you grow. And we know that that's the case, but finally we got a group of students to, to do that this last year. And we saw uh, an incredible amount of growth and new leaders raised up. As Ileana and I leave, we're leaving the ministry in a good place. We're leaving it with up-and-coming younger staff members that are now going to take on our roles, as well as new student leaders for this upcoming year. So if you think about it, please be praying for CSU as they go on to campus again this year. This is their poised to have a really incredible year, and I believe this is probably true for every university in the United States, that this fall is going to be one of the most pivotal ever because we're coming out of such a tumultuous time period, and students are finally being able to re-engage on campus, and they're going to be thinking differently than they've been thinking before. They're going to be asking different questions, and I think there's going to be an openness like never before. So we're excited for CSU and the ministry there and what's going to happen. If you can go to the next slide, there, uh, this next one represents legacy. So Ileana, uh, it, this is a group of girls who uh, have all been discipled by Ileana in one way or another, um, and they have been part of her group over the years. This isn't even all of the girls uh, represented over the last seven years, but a good chunk of them are in this picture, and every single one uh, of these women are or have been small group leaders in our ministry, and they are continuing to serve the Lord. Uh, a lot of them are, have graduated and are alumni, and they're still faithfully making disciples, even after graduation. And in this picture just speaks to the power of discipleship. Ileana's faithful investment in these girls, in their lives over time, uh, many of them have spent a number of meals at our house, as um, Ileana's just has the gift of hospitality and also is an incredible cook. So it brings people in the door very easily. And a lot of these girls, she has just labored uh, to fight for them, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to grow in their faith. And it's incredible to see the fruit of that. And we got to celebrate that as we left campus this year. So now we're moving forward, and I want to kind of look ahead if you want to get information and updates on what we're doing, you can go to either Facebook or Instagram. And if you're a Facebook user, you can add Ileana or I as a friend. And if you add us as a friend, we'll add you to a secret group that we have. has to be hidden because Russia is a sensitive country, which means um, the government doesn't necessarily like us to be doing missions work there. And so we uh, are at risk of really getting kicked out at any point. So we want to be careful and cautious with what we present online. So we're not going to disclose and divulge a lot of information openly, but we do have a group that you can, we'll invite you into. You can follow 
regular updates. We'll post weekly updates. You can kind of see where we're at, where we're traveling. Because over the next year, it's going to take about 12 to 18 months to get to Russia for us. Um, we have to raise our funds. And the funds that we have to raise are significant because we're going overseas and we're planning to go long term. You know, so put those th two things together and you get a large budget. So <laughs> we have a lot to raise, but we're trusting God, of course, for all of it. We've been in full-time ministry, as I said, for eight years. And one thing we have a conviction for is that God does provide. And so we want you to follow along there. If you would rather on Instagram, you can search uh, for Kaisers in SPB, uh, which stands for St. Petersburg. And we have the same group there. So if you want to follow us there, please do so. If you already are friends with us on Facebook, just send Ileana or I a message and let us know you'd like to be added to that group and we'll do that. So let's look ahead and let's look at a word that I believe the Holy Spirit has given me for the church tonight, which is a very interesting word, but it, it is a word from him nonetheless. <laughs> I want to share about God's love for things that are hard and difficult. I believe that all throughout the Bible, you see this theme of God wanting to intentionally make things harder. And I want to unpack that and explain why that is and why God would be into that because we're, very frankly, we're not. I'm not. <laughs> but God is. And I'm learning that this is something incredible we get to join God in um, just going fully in, into, fully on board with. So God, unlike us, doesn't always choose the path of least resistance. Okay? We like things to be smooth and easy, and, and we love it when things go well, and we get the front parking spot, and uh, you know, we don't have expensive bills to pay, and we don't have dilemmas, and we don't have you know, tickets if we're speeding, and we don't have you know, this, that, or the other inconvenience, um, as well as the things in life that are more difficult, like tragedy, uh, crisis, we lo we love rather to avoid those things. Um, however, God, it seems like, sees those things in a very different light and perspective than we do. Think about the Garden of Eden, okay, for a moment. If you can take you back to Genesis chapter 2, you have Adam and Eve created by God living in this ideal, perfect realm called the Garden. And everything in the garden is set up for them to be able to obey. Everything is perfect, pristine, and the right condition for obedience. Think about it. They have a right relationship with God from the start. That's all they've known from, from the moment that they came into existence until, you know, every successive moment it's been in right standing with God. They've never experienced a day outside of his favor they have never experienced a moment of isolation, of feeling lost. They've just only known this perfect relationship with God where they walk with him and talk with him and know him intimately. And not only that, they have each other. And they live in this perfect realm where everything is its beautiful, it's wonderful. They have all the fruit available to them that their eyes could desire. They only have one thing that they have to obey. Isn't that amazing? Just one thing, not a whole bunch of things, but one. So it's really easy to obey in the garden. But what do we find happens? They actually fail and they disobey. When everything is set up for the success 
they fail. Okay? And this is an interesting thing I want to, to dwell on. And it's something I've been thinking about and reflecting on as we come out of the pandemic. And re- it's still going on, but as we're moving and shifting into this new phase, outward circumstances do not have outward response. And the inward response is what makes all the difference. Okay? That's what makes, that's the thing that makes all the difference, how you respond. It doesn't, it's not so much about what happens outside of us as it is what p- takes place internally, okay? Because I want to look at, in contrast to the garden, the wilderness. And you have the wilderness representing a place where it's difficult to obey. In fact, everything is set against obedience. Think about how the wilderness is a place that's lonely. It's a place of isolation. There's no community there. The wilderness is a place that's barren. It lacks resources. Okay? It's, it's very difficult to live in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of confusion. When people are in the wilderness in the scripture, they don't always understand why they're there. And yet we see the spirit of the living God leading Jesus Christ into the wilderness. This is the beginning of his ministry. And the very first thing, he's, he's been baptized in the Jordan River by John and kind of inaugurated uh, basically the kingdom and the king arriving to, to begin proclaiming that the kingdom has come. And the first thing he's led to do by the spirit is to go into the wilderness where it's not set up for him to obey. And yet, what happens? Though he's tempted, and we're going to read that passage in a moment, he has victory. Where the first Adam failed when he had everything in his favor, the last Adam, Christ, succeeded when everything was against him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That Jesus succeeded where everything was against him. Okay, so let's look at that passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And we have in this account of the temptation of Jesus a really interesting moment. Think about this. How does Matthew or any of the other gospel writers, how do they know about this story, because Jesus is alone when this happens. And I was reading a commentary that 
says the only way that Matthew and Mark and John would have learned about the temptation of Jesus is because he told them. It was such a significant event in his life and in, in the formation of, of his ministry that he shared and he disclosed with them the details of this account. And it left such an impression on them, Matthew in particular, that he, he recorded it word for word what took place. And what happens here is a struggle that you and I will face as well. The temptation outwardly may be different, but underneath it, it's essentially the same. Taking the easy route or the hard route. That's really, what, if you were to summarize all three temptations, that's what it comes down to. Think about the first one. Turn stones into bread. Rely on yourself. Self-reliance is, it, it seems like, the easier route. To rely on God, to depend on the Lord, as Jesus says, to look for him for bread. Not just the bread that nourishes the body, but the bread, the word of life. To look to God and to wait on God is by far harder than immediate satisfaction of our needs. Okay? To abstain from things that seem legitimate, like hunger, in order to rely on the Lord is definitely the harder route. And then look at the second temptation where he's asked, Jesus is asked to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple. And if he really is the son of God, then God has said in his word, because here Satan is quoting to him the word, that God is obligated to protect Jesus and he'll come to his aid. And it's interesting, I, I've, I've read different interpretations of what's going on here and and one thing that is interesting about it is that the fact that of Jesus throwing himself off the temple seems to be a way of gaining influence. It would be a show. It, w it would be performed in front of Jerusalem to, to, to demonstrate his messiahship, his, uh, his right to be king over Israel. And, of course, if, if he could pull off a miraculous stunt like that, you know, throw himself off the building and he's caught miraculously, um, that would be a way of proving who he was, either to himself or to the Israelites, okay? And yet Jesus prefers, rather than immediate influence, he prefers the harder route of character, of not tempting the Lord, of not uh, putting the Lord in a position where he needs to prove himself, but trusting in the Lord instead. That's harder. And then finally we get to the third temptation, which is, if you worship me, the devil's saying this to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Exactly what Jesus has come into the world for, to, to be the rightful king, not just of Israel, but of the entire world. And the devil's saying, I can give it to you like that. Easy. Right away. All you got to do is do what everyone else in the world is doing and bow down to me. So easy. And yet Jesus, in his refusal, here is in a very real way, choosing the way of the cross. This is the cross, without any mention of it, that's exactly what Jesus is deciding here, is he's going to go the hard way. In fact, the cross is the hardest way. That's the hard road. That's not the easy way. To be crucified, to give himself over to the Gentiles, to be mocked and scourged, and to submit to the false charges of the high priest and to 
undergo the scorn and the shame, that's not the easy route. But in choosing the harder way, Jesus is choosing the way of glory to the Father. Okay? And this is what's interesting about hard things, is they're often the best way for God to receive glory. And that's exactly what happened with the cross. There's nothing more glorious. We sang about it. We thought about it as in worship. I hope it's a, a theme that you come back to daily, if not more often. The meditation on Jesus and being crucified for you. How glorious that is to God. That is the center of our worship in heaven, as we see in the book of Revelation, that the saints are gathered around the lamb that's been slain. So the cross is the harder route, but it is the more glorious way, and it was worth it. And that's an amazing principle for us. So let's continue to unravel this and understand this together. Okay? Think about this. Jesus, as he continues his ministry, it's, it's essentially more of the same in terms of the harder route. He tells his followers to expect the same as well. He says to us a verse which you will not find in Hobby Lobby. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you for my sake. Blessed are you. Happy. Supremely happy are you when these things take place. Right? What? <laughs> And then uh, in his commission, which is hardly a motivational speech, it seems like, to the apostles, if you go to Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16, I just want to read a chunk of this so you get the idea. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Let me read that again. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. As a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Again, what a, what a commission <laughs> to send the, the apostles out. Hey, guys, get in close here. By the way, yeah, you're going to have authority to heal, cast out demons, and you're going to go proclaim the kingdom is, has come. But along the way, it's going to get rough. <laughs> it's going to get really hard. And you're, you're going to face persecution in one city where you're going to have to go to the next. You're going to have to leave cities and flee for your life. And, and your family ties, which have been so tight and such an, an important part of your culture, are going to be ripped apart. The father will betray child. And not only that, but you're going to face the Gentiles. And, and they're going to have their way with you as well. So here we see... <laughs> Jesus telling them the same road that he's on, the road to the cross, is the road that his followers are going to have to be on as well. 
And you would think they would maybe con- reconsider uh, following him at this point, but there's no indication that they do. They continue on. And I want to help us get to a point where we feel the same way, where we don't shrink back from that kind of calling and commission, but we just go forward and, and, and charge right into it. Okay? So here's what's interesting about persecution. It brings blessing. It really does. I was listening to the account of a missionary in a country that he wasn't able to disclose, where he said that they, they saw a harvest, they saw a number of Muslims come to faith in Christ, and afterwards, about six months in, they faced persecution. And it was inevitable. It was, it was like a guarantee that this was going to happen. And the, the persecution took different forms. Uh, one of the ladies that had come to Christ, who was their leading evangelist, she had been sharing her faith with Muslims all around. She was forced into a marriage that was arranged and forbidden by her husband to speak anymore about Christ. Um, and I, I believe she was beaten by him for it. And so she, her testimony was really curtailed. The ability for her to share as she had been freely it diminished, so they lost one of their key evangelists, and then also a number of other things happened. Uh, a lot of these uh, people lost their jobs, their source of income, and then while all this was happening, the missionary was away back in the U.S., unable to really help. They couldn't send another worker from the field. Nobody was able to help these new believers. They just had to go through it, just them. How, how crazy, right? And that story is very, very common, and in fact, something that we expect we would be remiss if we didn't expect that the same thing would happen to us as we go to Russia. That in some form or another, we're, we're going to believe for a great move of God, and we're going to believe for Russians to come to faith in Christ, but we're also, we know there's going to be persecution. We know that the devil's going to come after it. And that Jesus told us to expect nothing less. We know this is going to happen, but here's the thing. That missionary said, as they were facing tougher and tougher persecution, Several blessings happen that I want to draw your attention to. One is this. Under persecution, the Spirit manifests himself in greater power. They saw more deliverance from demons during and after that period of persecution than before. They saw the Spirit's power in greater measure, almost in equal measure to the persecution. As the persecution intensified, so did the Spirit's operation in that community and in that surrounding area. So we can expect the Lord to move powerfully on our behalf under persecution. We can expect there's going to be even greater signs and wonders that we will observe and that will display the power of the kingdom of God. The second blessing is that the followers had a greater level of commitment. That rather than making them leave their faith, the majority of them became stronger in their faith. And the Lord used it to solidify what had taken place in their lives just a few months before. It became not just a hollow confession, but life or death for them and something they completely put their hearts into. And the third blessing is the best of all, greater intimacy with the Lord. There comes just a deeper, sweeter fellowship with him when you've gone through something. And you can understand just a little glimpse, a teeny little taste of the cross. When you get just, just a minute little taste of that. Because it will never reach that point. But 
we can, in some small measure, get to experience the privilege of fellowship with his sufferings, as Paul called it. And those, those are blessings that come. And how awesome that, that actually persecution becomes an opportunity and hard things become a way of experiencing more of God. Worth it. Worth it. A lot of those people in foreign countries, Russia included, they don't get a choice of uh, whether they're going to face persecution or not. And this is what's interesting. It, it, becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus in a lot of the world guarantees tough times right off the bat. In most places, it means severing close personal ties with family. It means loss of job, career, potential. It means uh, even threat to physical well-being and in, in places in the world, death. Okay, so that's, that's what people sign up for when they say yes to Jesus. That's right off the bat. In our condition here in the U.S., um, we have this other alternate uh, dilemma where actually you can follow Jesus and things are really quite easy. And, and in fact, for a lot of students, life gets easier when they start following Jesus. Like all the anxiety and the heartache and, and issues that they have because of sin are, are washed away in the blood of Jesus and they experience this freedom and relationships become healthy and whole and things actually improve remarkably. That was my case. I remember in college, like the, the relationships I had just only um, became real after following Jesus and it was all blessing and it, there was nothing hard about it. It was just amazing. And so we in the West have this alternate issue of, we can choose the hard road or not. Whereas the rest of the world, it's just the hard road. That's all there is. For us, it's almost like there's two roads. And that easy road is there. And you can, you can be a follower of Jesus and, and just enjoy this easy, easy time for the most part. Or you can choose this harder way. And I, my mentor, my, our campus pastor, at CSU, he has this interesting quote where he, he's, I don't know where he got this from, but he said this, we'll get to heaven one day and we'll go to those people that experience incredible persecution and ask them, how'd you do it? And what they might respond to us is, how did you do it when it was so easy to not follow? <laughs> when it was so, e when, it, when you could have so easily just you know, called yourself a Christian and gone through the motions and, and just coasted your way into eternity? How did you do it when you could have done it that way? And I think that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. Such a good reminder for us is, is yeah, we, we do actually kind of get to choose the hard road or not. And I'm encouraging you to take the hard way. Russia, for us, for my wife and I, is, is like choosing that harder route. That's, that's choosing the way of the cross for us. Okay, as David mentioned, who in the right mind would, would go to Russia? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, honestly. It never was on my radar growing up. I never, I never like, experienced this burning heart for Russian people. I knew about Russia was from our movies where they're always the villain um, and a little bit of history about the Soviet Union, but even that I didn't really understand. And I didn't know the language and I just went. I just was obedient to God, and I discovered this whole other world over there. It's just a completely different world. 
the way they think, it's totally different than the way we think. <laughs> and the way they, they act and what they eat and everything is just different. And uh, on, on paper, what Eliana and I are going to set out to do is crazy. I want to think about this. Let's, let's think about what we're setting out for because we need to be realists. I don't want to be uh, pie in the sky, you know, ideal optimist. I want to be realist. I want to, and I believe the kingdom of God is realism. It's realistic. So when we look at the picture, here it is. Needing to learn a language that, that could take years to really master. Years and years and years. Like Russian is a very hard language. And we have a long ways to go. I, I have like a year's worth of study, which is just enough to know what I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's about where I'm at. I know exactly what I need to do to grow, but I, I'm not even close to it yet. And then, you know, we're, we're planning to move over there with our family and we have our children. You know, who knows how they're going to experience the different culture. I mean, our children have uh, been born and grown up in Fort Collins, and all they've known is our one home we've lived in since before they were born. You know, so they've never even experienced moving in the same city, let alone going overseas. You know, and, and just the, the I, we know something of that cultural shock that takes place when you go to another culture and you're just overwhelmed by it. But how are they going to respond? And then we have this task before us. Like we want to lead Russians to Christ. And, and a lot of them are atheists and, and they're, they're happy without Jesus and they don't want him. And we have to lead sinners to repent, give up their selfishness and follow him as their rightful king. And then we need to help them do that for others. We need to see discipleship take place. And let me tell you, discipleship is the harder route. Because we could go over and we could do a, a big, splashy thing as Americans, as Westerners, and we could attract a ton of attention, and we could get a lot of Russians together in, a, in one room and have a big campaign, and we could do that. But that's not our goal. That's not what we're going to do. Our goal is to see Russians making disciples of Russians, okay? And that jump from us to the Russians following Christ is a lot smaller than Russians leading other Russians to follow Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? That discipleship gap, if you want to call it that, that makes all the difference in the mission is impossible without the power of God. So yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough road ahead that we believe is going to require years of service, not just one or two like we have prior and that's why we're planning to go long term, because we know this is, this is not something that's just going to happen overnight. It's going to take faithful, uh, steadfast service to the Russian people for them to get what we've been given, which is discipleship. Okay, and that's our goal. So it's definitely the harder route. A missionary uh, that I really admire, his name is Samuel Zwimmer. He is known as like a father of missions to the Arab world because he was one of the first. Um, he says this. I love this quote. It was the bigness of the task. He's speaking about the apostles setting out to start the church. It was the bigness of the task and its difficulty that thrilled the early church. Its apparent impossibility was its glory. Its worldwide character, its grandeur. I'm going to read that again. It was the bigness of the task and its difficulty that thrilled the early church. 
its apparent impossibility was its glory, its worldwide character, its grandeur. Paul, the apostle, wanted to go to Rome on his way to Spain. That's how global these guys were thinking, right? He was, he was thinking Rome would just be a pit stop on the way to the frontier of the Roman Empire in Spain. They had this idea deep in their hearts from the Holy Spirit that the gospel could go all over the entire world, and they thought and they had the audacity to try to do it in a generation. And I want to recapture something in that same spirit for us in the church. Worldwide evangelization is not just a nice-sounding missions motto, right? It, it's, it's actually something that's very, very obtainable in as much as it's also very, very impossible. <laughs> and, and it's all because we serve this God who loves things that are impossible, loves things that are hard, right? I want to uh, use the illustration of Elijah, Okay, here's, uh, this is very much in connection with the wilderness temptation of Jesus. Elijah is having a showdown with the religious rulers of his day over who to serve. This false god, Baal, or the true god, Jehovah. And he challenges them to a showdown where he says, whichever god is real, let them light an altar with fire. <laughs> Do you know what he does with his altar? He pours water on it. And it's so much water. It says he digs a trench around the altar, and it, there's so much water, it fills the trench. In fact, it tells you how much water. Four pots worth of water. He tells the servants to pour over the altar three times. Twelve pots worth, must be large vessels of water, dousing the altar. Why in the world does he do that? If I were Elijah and, and I knew the Lord wanted to make things hard, I might have sprinkled the, the altar with some water, not doused it and drenched it. I think it's so fascinating. I mean, isn't it enough that fire is going to come out of the sky and light this thing? Like, why does, why does there need to be water on it too? But how interesting. The water, I believe, represents the hard things that the Lord wants to lead us into, if you are willing to receive that, wants to bring us through. It represents the hard circumstances in life. And I want us as a church to have the confidence of Elijah in saying God is able to do the impossible. And I believe that so much so, I'll, I'll pour water on the altar. I'll embrace the hard things in my life and the circumstances that I face in seeing God come through and seeing God make the impossible become possible. I'll believe in him with such audacity and the spirit of Elijah that I'll say yes to the language being difficult. I'll say yes to Jesus. Our, our family's going to go through a hard time adjusting to that culture and yes to the persecution that's inevitable and yes to the obstacles that are I'm going to feel insurmountable at times, and yes to the government pressure, and yes to it seeming like it's all for naught. I know that there's going to be days where it feels like we're just wasting our time, but I'm saying yes to the hard things for this very reason. It's this, that God is most glorified 
when the impossible becomes possible. He is most glorified when the impossible becomes possible. There's a glory to the impossible. There's a glory to it. It's glorious when God comes through and all the odds are against him. Just as when Jesus overcame in the wilderness and everything was against him. Everything was against him from from that day on. In fact, from his birth, everything was stacked against him. As Herod set out to kill, and as he endured just obstacle after obstacle, he just passed right through him, right over him, all the way to his journey to the cross, and then after the cross, he was raised from the dead. We serve a God who does that kind of stuff still and invites us as his followers to join him. And one of the biggest hard things that I think we face as Christians is our own weakness. I think that's, that, that's got to be one of the, the things that we put our finger on the most. Think about Moses when he's called at the burning bush to deliver Israel. And his, what he thinks is, is a very reasonable response <laughs> to God is, I'm not qualified. I, I, I have this speech impediment. God, send someone else. Do, do it some other way. You're not qualified in spite of your weakness. You're qualified by it. Your weakness, it's because of the weaknesses that Moses had. It's because he was a burnt out older man who had tried to so- do something of a deliverance for his people and had utterly failed. And he was just burnt out and lost in the wilderness. In the middle of nowhere, tending a flock had essentially given up on, on that calling or that dream, that longing in his heart. He, had, he was done with it. He was an older man at that point. And then it's, that's when the call of God comes to him. Not in spite of that, but because of that. Because here you have a man that's been broken and has had his pride crushed under 40 years of feeling useless. And in that process, God has prepared him to be a vessel that he can use to make the impossible become possible. And I want to encourage each one of you that your weaknesses do not disqualify you from seeing God do the same things that he did in the scriptures and through these missionaries and and what I hope he'll do through my life. You can see the same things in your lives as well because of your weakness, because of your inadequacy, because of the things that you think would prevent those deliverances or miracles or uh, God moves ever happening. You are qualified because of your weakness, not in spite of it, okay? Do you understand that, church? Do you believe that today, church? Okay. I want to finish by just praying over you as a church and um, yeah, ask and invite you to pray for my wife and I. If you think about it, pray for us. Pray for the journey ahead, the year or more of raising our funds and the language study we'll go through and um, meeting the key Russians that we want to meet to begin making disciples and seeing that become a discipleship movement. Would you pray for us? I just ask and we long for the prayers of, of you as, our, as the body of Christ. As, as our fellow believers, Christians, please pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this word of 
uh, how you, you do love the hard way. And God, we want to embrace it as well because we know that it brings the most glory to you. It does, Lord. And w- if that's our desire today, that's our desire tonight is to bring you glory. Help us to see that this is the most glorious way. That there's always going to be an easy route, a shortcut that we can take that will actually rob you of your glory. Or there will be the harder route, the more difficult way that we can always choose, which will bring you glory that we can't even fathom, that we can't even imagine. And it won't be unveiled fully until eternity. So thank you, Father. Thank you for this wonderful church family. I pray for blessing on them as they endure hard things, as they go through hardships, that they would see and recognize the opportunity for the impossible to become possible. And Lord, help us all in our weakness to not disqualify ourselves, but to simply say yes in obedience and to trust you, Jesus, to use us. We believe that you can and you will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.